Fish tales are fishing stories that are embellished, and we enjoy listening to these accounts that fishermen tell. And we also like the idea of, you know, doing a series based on biblical fish. Uh, and so there is a component of fun to this series. But what we really want to focus on through this is that fish tales, while they are hard to believe, and the Bible is full of stories that are hard to believe. Um, and all of our fish tales that we're going to be looking at in this series, they are outlandish. Um, as we highlight some of these unbelievable stories, we want to remember that God asks us to believe the unbelievable. Things that will make us wonder, is that really true? The gospel is real. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. That actually happened, even if it's hard to believe. God asks us to believe the unbelievable. And God will also call us to do things that we never thought we would do. God will ask things of us that stretch our faith. If we follow Jesus long enough, we will end up doing things that at one point in our lives, we never believed that we would ever do. The unbelievable is a normal part of faith. Last week, Brett kicked off the series with a story where Jesus tells Peter to go fishing and open the mouth of the first fish he catches, and in the mouth there was a coin that he used to pay the temple tax. It's an unbelievable story. And Brett focused on the humility demonstrated in the passage. Now, we can't do a series on biblical fish tales without the story of Jonah, the man swallowed by a whale. So we're going to visit that story this morning. Uh, go ahead, uh, scripture this morning is Jonah chapter 1. Uh, you can turn there in your Bibles. Jonah is a little harder to find. Uh, it's in the part of the Bible called the Minor Prophets. The best way for me to find it is I go to the end of the Old Testament and work my way backwards, eight books, and then I find Jonah. Um, or you can just look it up on your phones. Um, but one of our directives here at TFRC is being spirit-led, where we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in everything. Well, Jonah doesn't do that. The word of the Lord comes to jo Jonah. He doesn't like what he hears. And so he runs away from what God is leading him to do. Uh, our scripture reader for this morning is Marcy Golay. And so I'm going to ask Marcy to please make her way on up to the podium. As she does so, if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. Uh, we read from the center of the room to remind us that Scripture is to be central in our lives. It is our primary lens to determine how we live. And we stand because we believe this is the Word of God. And so, uh, Marcy, whenever you are ready, please read Jonah chapter 1. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amatai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the car cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, 
Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. To this, or this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea, cal the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to him, or to the Lord, and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Marcy, thank you very much. You may be seated. So as a kid, my dad took us fishing often, especially when we'd go to our cabin in northern Wisconsin. Uh, and it was usually my dad and my two older brothers that went fishing. In retrospect, my dad was a little crazy because uh, he would take a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 6-year-old fishing together. Uh, obviously, he didn't get to fish much. Uh, he was always helping us. Um, and the lake that we fished on most often was called Road Lake. It was a lake by a road, so they called it Road Lake. Very creative. Um, we caught a lot of fish in Road Lake, uh, we, and we always used the same bait. Every time we went fishing, we used a jig and a minnow. And we caught pike and crappie and bass and perch and walleye, all with the same bait, a jig and a minnow. So anytime I went fishing on any lake, that was the bait I wanted to use. And when we fished other lakes, a jig and a minnow didn't always work. So as everyone knows, you have to adjust your fishing bait to where and what you are fishing for. As a kid, I didn't get that. I thought a jig and a minnow would work anywhere. And after many times of not catching anything with a jig and a minnow, I was open to trying other kinds of fish bait when I was on a different lake. Um, sometimes the fish don't, don't always like the bait that you throw out there. Well, sometimes God doesn't always throw stuff out there that we like. Sometimes God will throw something out there that we don't like. Something that we don't want to do, so we resist. Well, God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach against it. Jonah didn't like what God was throwing out there, so he ran away. Now, many people, when they reflect on this story or talk about this story, they will focus on Jonah's disobedience and just simply say, yeah, Jonah was disobedient. God told him to do something and he just didn't do it. Well, to be sure, Jonah was definitely disobedient. But I think there's a better way to understand what Jonah was experiencing. See, Jonah was experiencing disillusionment. He was disillusioned. If you go back to the first three verses of the chapter, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness had come up here before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now just take a quick look at this map. 
Now, if Jonah just wanted to be disobedient when he was called to Nineveh, he could have just refused to go. Or he could have just stayed in his hometown or gone to any other town in Israel or Judah. Now, Jonah's hometown of Gath-Hefer is 500 miles from Nineveh. And so then he goes down to Joppa, which isn't too far. Joppa is actually modern-day Tel Aviv, for those of you who like to know such things. Um, And then his goal is to sail for Tarshish. Well, Tarshish is 2,500 miles away from his hometown. Look how dramatic his actions are. Look how far away he wants to go. It's completely unnecessary. If Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh, he could have stayed put in Gath-Hefer. He could have stayed there, gone to any other town in Israel, Judah. He doesn't have to go to Tarshish to be disobedient. This is dramatic, what's happening here. He is not simply running away in disobedience. He is being disobedient. But there's something deeper going on here with Jonah. And I want to take us a little bit of a deep dive here. We're going to go through a couple different scriptures. Just be patient and stick with me here. Now the passage says that Jonah, in verse 1, is the son of Amittai. Amittai means son of truth. And the word for truth is amet. Amet is the Hebrew word for truth. It can also be translated as faithfulness. Now, just think about the conceptual relationship between something that is true and something that is faithful. If someone is true to you, what we mean by that is they're faithful to you. Or if something rings true, that means it's reliable information, it's faithful information. And so while faithful or faithfulness works as a translation for the word amet, a better translation is the word truth. And truth is that what is. Truth is truth. And truth can be harsh. Uh, Students, if you don't study for a test, you're going to fail a test. That's what we call the hard truth. Or if we don't manage our money well, we won't be able to pay the bills. You know something? That's the hard truth. Truth means that there are consequences for our actions. Truth is the basis of justice. If someone does something wrong, there must be consequences. And if there are no consequences for our actions, well, where's the truth in any of that? Where did the truth go? Jonah is the son of a man named the son of truth. How much do you think truth matters to Jonah? Truth matters to Jonah. And the passage says that Jonah goes to Tarshish to flee God's presence. So why does he do that? In Exodus 34, it tells the story, an account of the glory of the Lord passing by Moses. And as the Lord passes by Moses, the Lord says this about himself from Exodus 34, verse 6. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and truth. Some translations will use faithfulness there. I think truth is better. Abounding in love and truth. 
It's the Hebrew word amet, abounding in love and amet. The same word that's used in Amittai's name, the son of truth, the son of amet. Now verse 7, that's Exodus 34, 6, verse 7 goes on to say that God does not let the guilty go unpunished. So what God says is, I'm a God of love and truth. I am gracious, but I administer justice. That's what God says in Exodus 34, 6. So when Jonah is explaining why he's fleeing the presence of the Lord, he actually quotes this verse. It's in the last chapter of Jonah, Jonah 4.2. And he quotes this very verse with one really important omission. And here's what Jonah says in Jonah 4.2. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. What is missing? Abounding in love and truth. There is no truth in this passage. Instead, Jonah says, a God who relents from sending calamity. He omits the word amet. Now, relenting from sending calamity, well, that's not truth and justice. That's the opposite of truth. So Jonah omits the word amet because Jonah doesn't believe that God is a God of justice. Doesn't believe it. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. The Assyrians were evil. They were like the Nazis of their day. They were known for their wickedness. They were known for their cruelty. They would use psychological warfare to conquer others. When they conquered a nation that wouldn't surrender them, they would torture the people they conquered. They would behead people, impale people, skin people. They would cut off their limbs so that others would be quick to surrender. And Jonah knows that if he preaches against the Assyrians and the people of Nineveh repent, God will not deliver the truth they deserve. And he doesn't want to live in a world where God doesn't deliver justice. And so he flees. He's not just fleeing his calling. He flees God. God, if you're not a God of justice, I want nothing to do with you, nothing to do with this world. Now, a world that lacks justice. Hmm, does that sound familiar? <laughs> Can any of us relate to that? We live in a world full of injustice. A world of war and abuse, racism, human trafficking, fraud, corruption, cover-ups, murder, theft, and the list goes on and on. And how often do the guilty get away with their crimes? I would argue more often than not. When a drunk driver kills a young mother, or when pastors or teachers or other adults um, that we're supposed to trust abuse our kids, or when someone scams us out of thousands of dollars, these kinds of things happen over and over and over. And it's not right. And we ask, where is God? And we hear about injustice after injustice after injustice. And sometimes, you know something? It's tempting to think that Jonah is right. God is not a God who administers justice. And so Jonah 
was disillusioned. And his disillusionment leads to him going down to despair. Every move that Jonah makes to flee the Lord that we read about in chapter 1 leads him down. I'm going to read verses 4 to 16 and listen for the downward motion in the passage. After Jonah goes down to Joppa, that's verse 3, and then he gets on a ship. Now, I'm going to give you all the downward motion after I read this passage, but for those of you who like, you know, quizzes, see how many of these you can catch as I read the passage, and like I tell you often, show off to the people sitting next to you. If you get most of these six, get credit for it. Here we go. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. All the different ways that Jonah goes down includes going down to Joppa, going down below deck. He laid down. He went down to sleep. Early, uh, my preparation for this, I missed one. And I actually caught it this morning. It's not on the screen. Uh, when they cast a lot, it fell on Jonah. Uh, he went down into the sea, and he went down into the belly of a fish, eventually. Fleeing the Lord is never a good idea. First of all, it's impossible. There is no place we can go to flee God. And second, I think about what Peter asked Jesus when Jesus asked his disciples, are all of you going to leave me too? And Peter says to him, well, to whom shall we go? If we flee God, who are we going to flee to? What are our choices? Jonah just doesn't care anymore. Jonah gets on a ship to get away from everything he knows. And then Jonah goes to sleep to get away from reality. And Jonah's willing to die. It just doesn't matter. He doesn't care. He's disillusioned. He's full of despair. Life just doesn't matter. 
And that is always a bad place to be. What do you do when God lets you down? What do you do when God lets you down? Meaning, when our expectations of God and what God actually does, when those two things don't match up, what do we do? What do we do when life isn't what we thought it would be? When our career is in shambles, or our marriage is in shambles, or our kids are in shambles, or our friendships are in shambles, or our health is in shambles. What do we do with disappointments and failures? What do we do when injustice comes our way? What do we do when God lets us down? Well, that's what faith is for. Faith is what fills that gap when the expectations we have of God and what God actually does don't match. Faith is what fills the gap when God lets us down. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is believing God is still good when life isn't. And when we don't have faith, all we have left is despair. And when we run away from God, we go down. Jonah just wanted to die. Wanting to die is no way to live. And when life is great and everything's going our way, well, it's easy to have faith then. In fact, you may not even need faith then. We need faith for the inevitable times that life isn't good. Faith in God is the only thing that keeps us from despair. To whom else will you go? Now, to the fishtail part of the story. Jonah is thrown overboard into the sea. And the point being, when he's thrown into the sea, is that Jonah is going to die. And then God delivers Jonah. He's delivered when he's swallowed by a whale, or at least a giant fish, as it says in verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And let's not miss something here. That Jonah was not looking to be delivered. Jonah had given up. He was expecting to die. He did not have any faith left. He was down in despair. And as he was going down in despair, God rescued him. God's grace came through. And I would argue God's grace could have been seen even before the whale. God's grace could be seen in the storm. The storm was one way that God was trying to rescue Jonah from going down in despair. And that's a nice little side point. If you're going through a storm, uh, maybe that's God trying to rescue you. Jonah didn't see the storm as God's attempt to rescue him. So he wants to be thrown overboard. He gets thrown overboard, sinking to the depths of the sea. And as he gets to the bottom, what is waiting for him there? Well, it's the grace of God in the form of a giant fish. 
Jonah had given up, hits rock bottom. And what does Jonah find there? God's grace. And a point about Jonah finding God's grace in the belly of the fish is what did Jonah deserve? What did the son of the son of truth deserve? Did he deserve grace or did he deserve truth? The sailors said Jonah was an innocent man. Was he really? I don't think so. God commanded him to go preach against Nineveh and he completely disobeys God. He literally goes as far in the opposite direction as possible. So what did he deserve? Well, justice, truth, would demand that he die in the bottom of the ocean. And instead, he received the grace of God. And maybe that's sort of a key for us as we navigate a world in which God allows all sorts of injustice to go on. Injustice that rightly makes us mad and question God. We should always be uncomfortable with injustice. But there are two good responses to help us with this. One is let us take active steps to advocate for justice. Again, injustice should always make us upset. And there is plenty of injustice to stand against. Human trafficking, abortion, immigration, racism, domestic abuse. It shouldn't be too hard for us to find something to stand up against or for. And then second, as we do that, as we stand up for truth, remember God's grace to you. You haven't always gotten the justice for your wrongs. Many times you receive God's grace instead. So as we get frustrated with God allowing wrong in the world, let us appreciate God's patience with the wrong in our lives. Now this particular verse, Jonah 1.17, Jesus references this verse in regards to himself, Matthew chapter 12, which says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus knows what it's like for God to let you down. When going to the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, if possible, take this cup from me. He didn't want to go to the cross. He went to the cross out of obedience. He didn't want to go to the cross. His Father sent him to the cross anyway. And on the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's an expression of despair. And just as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish, Jesus knew that he would be in the heart of the earth for three days and nights, and he knew that God would deliver him even from death. The gospel, that good news, changes everything. God's grace will run you down when you are run down. God's grace always comes before faith. We don't have to demonstrate faith to God first. God loves us first. And God gives us grace again and again and again. And we simply have to respond to God's grace in faith. God is always giving us grace to strengthen our faith. Now, I can't count how many times I've been ready to throw in the towel of faith, ready to give up. I fail. I get disappointed. I feel like God lets me down. Being a pastor doesn't exempt me from that. There's no pastor's pass on that. If anything, being a pastor makes it harder to keep the faith. 
But God is always there for me. Gives me a little grace, sometimes a lot of grace. Gives me a little encouragement, sometimes a lot of encouragement. As if to say, yes, following me is hard, but I haven't left you. And amazingly, I just need the faith to believe that those acts of goodness, that they are God's grace to me to encourage me. And just so you know, most of the time, God's grace comes to me through many of you. God's grace will run you down even when you are run down. We just need the eyes of faith to see it. Please pray with me. And Lord, that is what we ask for, for you to give us eyes to see your goodness and grace to us. For Lord, as we navigate a world full of injustice, help us to continue to trust you that you are a God of love and a God of truth. And you are working all things out ultimately for our good. And so Lord, again, continue to encourage us and give us the grace that we are so in need of and so grateful for. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.